Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Zion, everybody. It is great to see all of you with us today. Who is still excited about the resurrection? There we go. Thank you, Chris. Man, I'm, uh, my name is Justin. For those of you that don't know me, if you don't know me, I'd love to meet you after service. Please come say hi to me. Uh, and welcome to Zion. Excited to jump into scripture today. We are coming back to our series in Proverbs. And we are kind of starting uh, another little mini series in the series on family and home. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the fun topic of Husbands and wives. Husbands and there we go. That's what I'm talking about. There's a lot of ooh. What's he gonna say? <laughs> well, you may walk away hating me thoroughly today. That's okay because you just will be hating scripture for the most part. Uh, and if if you hopefully. As I invited the spirit to work on our hearts and till the soil of our hearts that what we read today will land on good soil. Amen. <laughs> so today, um, as we talk about husbands and wives, I think it is important uh, to talk about this topic for a lot of reasons. And we'll talk about that throughout the day. But statistically, 96% of people will be married at least once in their life. Uh, and the other statistic, the other side of that is 51% of those people uh, will get divorced. And so this is why it is an important topic to talk about and uh, why we're going to cover from the, how Proverbs covers it today. But it is impossible to cover the topic of uh, marriage or husbands and wives in one week. It, it's just impossible. So we're only going to be looking at Proverbs. Scripture has a lot to say about marriage, but we're not going to be jumping around to all those different scriptures. Or, or we would be here for the next week straight and still have more stuff to say about it. Uh, but what, I, what we're really going to talk about today, a lot of what we'll talk about is the ideals in marriage. The ideals, meaning... How, what does it look like for wives? What does it look like for husbands in marriage? Uh, how, what, what, does, what does the ideal uh, of those two roles look like? And to do that, we'll be looking at Proverbs 31 and a couple of other Proverbs. Uh, a lot of people have heard of Proverbs 31. It's a very famous passage um, speaking on this topic. But um, what I want to say before we jump uh, too far in is a couple of notes as we get in there. Uh, first, I hope that today shatters the woman that, uh, staying at home only model. Uh, that is one of my hopes uh, for today to happen. Uh, if I think people that have that model just haven't been thoroughly uh, enjoying all of Scripture. Uh, and the other thing is I, that as we talk about this is what scripture does is it also affirms that the home is the priority for both the husband and the wife. And this we're going to be talking more about this in this series. Uh, the next three weeks today, it's husbands and wives. Next week, it's uh, parents and children. And then uh, week three, we're going to be getting into lust and adultery. 
uh, because that is such a big topic in Proverbs. I felt like it needed its own week, especially nowadays. Uh, the topic of lust uh, has is so ingrained with porn culture and addiction and how deeply it is ingrained because of uh, its free uh, access anywhere from mobile phones, from com- computers. And um, speaking from experience, uh, I'll have a lot to say about that. And then some of the other things is as we show these ideals, uh, the question that you may be asking yourselves throughout is, man, that person sounds really great. How do we get there? Uh, so hold on to your seats because we will explain how to get there uh, by the end. Uh, but don't, don't condemn yourself through this if you think like, wow, uh, I got a long way to go. Because I can tell you as I was reading these, I was thinking some of the same things you may be thinking. Uh, but also, my hope is to show some of the ugly sides of marriage. You know, the divorce rate is 51% for a reason. Uh, and Proverbs gets into some of that, why we may see that happen. Uh, so, first of all, we're going to talk to the women. And what I love about Proverbs is it has such a wonderful light on wives. Uh, so the first proverb that I read is Proverbs 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 22, says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. This is repeated many times throughout Proverbs, essentially saying that uh, to the men, if you find a wife, if you find a good woman, you have found favor. It is a blessing from God. Women, you being an amazing wife, it is a blessing uh, to your husbands. It is an incredible thing. Uh, to have a wife. My wife is not here today. I told her, I was like, oh, this is great. I can say anything I want today. Uh, But my older son was puking his guts out all night last night. Uh, And so she stayed back uh, so that I can talk about her freely today during the sermon. (laughs) Uh, But... What, what is the, the, the wife? Who is this person that if, if, if found, finds favor from the Lord? And so we're going to look at Proverbs 31, which is famous for people saying, you know, I want a guys say this all the time. I want a Proverbs 31 woman. I tell guys, you can't handle a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> right, ladies? And so we're going to look at Proverbs 31, uh, and we're going to talk about this Proverbs 31 woman that is very famous in Scripture that we've heard a lot about. Uh, and so the, we'll kind of read through a few of these verses and think about what are, what are these ideals? What does a, a godly wife look like? What does is, what is a godly woman do uh, in her family? And so the first verse that we'll look at in verse 15 says this. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She takes care of her family. This is one of the aspects of the ideals of a Proverbs 31 woman. She takes care of her family. She gets up early, provides, makes sure that everything is taken care of, not only for her family, the the, the helpers, the people in the house that are helping the house go forward. The next thing that she does is, it says in verses 16 and 18, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. I love this. She is business savvy, right? She can look at a field and purchase it and know that she is making a good real estate investment. 
Uh, she knows what to buy and sell, what merchandise is going to be profitable. At the end of the day, she'll stay up late at night making sure that there is profit coming into the home. Now, as a business owner, you know, this is very nice to hear while I was reading this. I was like, oh, this, this is great. All right. Uh, so when do I get to uh, just have a sugar mama uh, and enjoy uh, Heather buying and selling merchandise on eBay at night uh, and I can wake up and look at the bank accounts in the morning. It says in verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is generous. right? A lot of times uh, business savvy and generosity don't go together. And that's because we look at the world's understanding of being of, of profit, which is profit is really tied around greed. This is for me. This is for my benefit. This is for my well-being. But we see here that this is not tied to greed, but this is tied to generosity. She is looking for ways to give to the poor uh, and, and give to those that are around her in need. So this Profit, this business sense, isn't just for her to enjoy on her own and for her to have increased material wealth, but is for her to be generous to those around her. She is prepared, we see in verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. Right? She is ready for the seasons. Prepared for what is going to happen. Uh, you know, this it reminds me of like when I first got married and we were getting ready to go away. Uh, and, you know, I, I was living the bachelor life before I got married. So before I went away, usually uh, there, there were about 30 out of the 31 things that I needed to bring with me while I was away that I didn't think of, you know, before I was about to go away. You know, I would just think, oh, I need a suitcase. And then right before I was going, all right. You know, 10 minutes before I leave, throwing clothes uh, in the suitcase and all this stuff. Uh, and I remember one of the, the uh, coolest things was um, we were, I forget what time, we were going somewhere. Uh, and Heather just got everything prepared. She made our lunch and all this other stuff. And I just kind of looked at her and I was like, wow, you are really cool. <laughs> this is really cool. I, I just like, I had no clue uh, that... You would do this kind of stuff. Like, it was really amazing to me. Uh, and it, it really, like, it enhanced my life in a way that I wasn't expecting and couldn't truly put words to. Because uh, what happened was I, I just saw that somebody else was using their gifts and talents and they were loving me. Uh, she was loving me in the process of using those things and realizing, like, man, you, you are doing this in a way that I, I would never be able to do. Um, and in Proverbs 20, 31, 26, it says she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She is wise. She is understanding. She is kind. Right. This is when we talked about wisdom, as we read what wisdom was in our second week in the series, we realized that wisdom is really the fruit of the spirit. And so when speaking wisdom, it's speaking with the fruit of the spirit, with Patience, with kindness, with self-control. When she opens her mouth, she does it with wisdom. She is not idle with her time. In Proverbs 31, 27, it says this. 
She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She doesn't waste her time um, idling. What she does is she puts her hands to work and she gets things done. She knows what needs to happen and she makes sure that they can happen. People like that one. <laughs> Yo, Rose's mouth just now was priceless. I wish I took a picture of that. Single puntos for you, Mike. That was a good one. <laughs> so it's, what's really interesting about this is we talk about this is, is first of all, uh, these are ideals, meaning uh, no one, no one person is expected to be able to fit all of this. Uh, but what happens is that as we read all this, right, wise, generous, prepared, not idle, caring for others. When we read that, what should be popping up in our head is this sounds a lot like God. This sounds a lot like who God is, the character of God. And so the, the truth of the matter is, is, yes, these are ideals, but sincerely, everything that Christ teaches us are ideals. And what happens is over time, sanctification, the closer we get to God, the more he changes us to look more like him. And so, ladies, the closer you get to God, the more time you spend time with him, the more time you read his word, the more time you get in his presence and you pray and spend time with him, the more time... Or the more you become like him in all he is, the more you become like his character. You become wise. You become generous. You become caring. You become hardworking. These are things that happen the closer you get to God. And this is a process that happens in our life. But what Proverbs does is it leaves the ideals out for us. So that we can say, God, I know you're working on my heart. And it's a process that you're working on. But the thing is, is that I know I've seen this in action. Uh, I've seen this with my mom. You know, for some of you that know my mom, uh, you, you can see this right away. Uh, but growing up, I just always remember there's always something distinct. When you grow up in a home, you don't think things are abnormal uh, because you've lived in them your whole life. Uh, and, and so the things that are normal to you are not normal to other people. And I remember when I was a teenager and people would ask me about what my dad did, what my mom did. And I would kind of explain to them uh, about my mom. I would always have people just say like, wow, that's really incredible. You have a great mom. And it finally started to hit me that the experience that I have with my mom is an abnormal experience. And really what happened is my mom at a young age, she gave her life to Christ. Uh, I think when she was a teenager, uh, somebody invited her to church while she was smoking weed with them. Uh, and she was, she was a hippie. Uh, and, you know, the part right in the middle, all the way hair down uh, and came to church, you know, true hippie fashion while she was smoking weed, got invited. Uh, but when she she came to church, she really laid down her life before God. And she is a woman of prayer. You know, if you know anything about my mom, my mom prays endlessly, um, both my mom and my dad. But uh, what I love is I love to tell people about my mom because I love to hear uh just people go, wow. Uh, you know, my mom raised five biological kids, uh, and she adopted two kids on top of that. She started a nonprofit that she has run for the past 35 years. She co-planted and co-pastored the church with my dad uh, for the last 30-plus years. 
Uh, she raised great children that are all functioning normally in society. Uh, and the thing that I love most about her is in the midst of always of doing all of this that she did, uh, as a child, I always knew that if I ever need anything and I needed it to get done, I could go to my mom. My mom was one of those people uh, that if, any, if, if anything went wrong, the first thing that she said on the phone was, let me talk to your manager. You ever have somebody like that in your life? I have a saying in my house. It's called, what would Joyce do? WWJD. Some of you know that saying a little bit differently. But whenever something goes wrong, I just ask myself, what would mom do in this situation? Uh, because my mom knew how to take care of business. You know, my, my mom uh, has made incredible real estate purchases for the family. Like she really exemplified what it means to be this uh, Proverbs 31 woman because I've seen her in her life craving God in prayer and in scripture and always wanting to be more like him. Now, my mom is not perfect. Nobody is. Uh, and I'm not trying to say that she is. But what I'm saying is I've seen her grow over the years. And when I read the scripture, I can truly say like, wow, she has left a great example of what this woman that scripture tells us that uh, she has been like. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And so with that, I want to say whoever said Christianity means that a woman is stuck in, a, in the kitchen has obviously never read Proverbs. Uh, and I think that's really important to share because in today's political climate, um, we have a lot of misinformation about Christianity. Uh, you know, what you have is you have a lot of culture uh, that wants to speak about. So if you have culture that wants to say. Well, this is what we value as a culture. And then what happens is when a, a certain particular culture or people group values something, what they do is they look at scripture and they say, well, we want scripture. We impose our beliefs on scripture and, and scripture says the same thing. And so what we had in America is we we've had this movement of. Uh, of, of men saying, no, your place is here. You don't belong in the business room. You don't belong in the political world. You don't belong in these upper leadership echelons. You don't belong here. And what we've done is, as people have done for thousands of years, we've looked for places that say, affirm what we want. And people have used scripture to essentially tell women, you do not belong in places where you can be business savvy. You do not belong in real estate decisions. You do not belong in the boardroom. You do not belong in politics. And Christianity has had a bad rap because a lot of the culture has said, well, Christians are the ones that are propagating this. And essentially what I think where Christians get it wrong in all places, what really is the problem is ignorance. People don't read scripture. What they hear is they hear a few people talk about the Bible, but they never go and study scripture for themselves. And what you find in scripture is you find incredible women that do incredible things like Deborah, who is the political leader, who is the equivalent of a king in Israel uh, for many years. If you read about her in the book of Judges, when you read in the resurrection story, the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ were women. Was, was Mary uh, going to the tomb in a time where women's testimony was not credible in a court of law God used the testimony of women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when you read scripture, what you find truly 
is that the ways that culture has subjugated women in these certain areas is not the way that scripture has dealt with women in these areas. And it's important to make the differentiation between culture and scripture and learn, okay, where are ways where culture and scripture align and where are ways where culture and scripture do not align and do not go together well. But then on the other side of this is that the home is the priority for both men and women. And we're going to read about this more. And so um, the home being priority means careers, jobs, skills are used to enhance the life in the home in beautiful ways as long as the priorities are not lost. Because if you read Proverbs 31, as we just read a lot of these verses, what they do is they go back to how it builds the home. They go back to how it builds the house up. And so what has happened is a lot of times is we, and this is for men and women, we have looked at careers, we have looked at jobs, we have looked at skills, and we said, how do I use this to enhance myself? And for so long, men forgot about the home and they walked away from the home and just said, well, I want to focus on my career. I want to focus on my skills. I want to focus on my job. And so that means I need someone to stay home. And so wife, that's now your job. You better stay home. Don't come out of the house. Don't come out of the kitchen because then that means that I can't do what I want to do with my career. I can't do what I want to do with my skills. I can't do what I want to do with my life. And so with the wave of feminism that has come up, there's been women that said, well, no, we want this too. And so what has happened now? Women have said, no, now my career is more important. My job is more important. My skills are more important. And so now the, the same sin of men starts to happen in women as well, which is the priority now leaves the home and goes to the career, selfishly goes to skills, selfishly goes to job, to money, while now the profit is for me. Where scripturally both men and women use their careers, use their skills, use their jobs to bring flourishing to their homes because the home and children raising them in the ways of God becomes the focus and the priority as we read next week and serving one another. This is the way that godly marriage and godly relationships work. And so if you're asking yourself, Particularly women, how do I come like this? Proverbs 31, 30 says this. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This verse caps off this entire chapter. So the secret is not to do better and to try harder. The secret is to live a life subject to God. See, the, the reason why many of these attributes sound like the fruit of the Spirit is because they are the fruit of the Spirit. And the more you know about God, is it the, the more you subject yourself to His Lordship, the more you give yourself over to Him, the more you become like Him. And so I, I tell guys and girls this all the time. Good looks don't pay the bills. <laughs> right? Vain... Beauty is vain. Charm is deceitful. Those things go away. They have a clock, a time limit on it. 
And so what are you looking for? For you single people, you are looking for someone who fears the Lord. Now, men, you want a Proverbs 31 woman without being a Proverbs 31 man. So let's get to that. Here's a Proverbs 31 man. You know, a lot of people don't only talk about the Proverbs 31 woman, but they don't address the subject of the men when the men are addressed in this chapter. In verse 11 in Proverbs 31, it says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Husbands, you have to trust your wives. You know, the best counsel I get in my life is from my wife. She knows. You, you know, when my wife tells me, don't talk to that woman anymore, do you know what I do? I stop talking to that woman. Because I know that she knows better than me. Also, <laughs> we just got another entrance into the Savage Wives Club of Zion. <laughs> Official start date. No, oh, this is this is a serious and serious thing in the sense of, uh, you know, one of the main questions I get from newly married couples uh, is, can I still talk to this person anymore? And what I tell the person all the time uh, is, now your friendships are subject to the counsel of your spouse. And so, if, if your wife says, "Don't talk to that girl anymore," guess what? You do not talk to that girl anymore. <laughs> Be like, girl, what girl? What was going on? Huh? <laughs> right there. Me, Heather and I have a very different skill set. If you know us well, you know that both of us, she is incredibly creative. Uh, she does things uh, that I could only dream of doing, and I am awful at them. Now, there are things that I do that she would rather just like go sit in a room alone for three weeks and never talk to anybody before she dabbles in those things. But you know what? I still bring everything before and I say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Because I know that I can't make family decisions without the wisdom of my wife. That when I do that, that I'm opening up myself to disaster. One, because she could have said no and she could have helped us not go into the ditch that we were walking into, but if we do it together and we wind up in a poor place, at least we can say that we made it here together and the decisions together. In verse 23, it says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Men, you have to have a good reputation. You have to have a good reputation. If you go out and people know that you are a liar, that you are a cheater, that you are a drunk. But yet you come home and you scream at your wife because you want her to do X, Y and Z. Let me tell you, one of the the greatest marriage pieces of marriage advice that I got that I give to everybody now is before you complain about your spouse, 
Before you tell your, your spouse to fix something, first fix something in your own heart. Deeply search yourself before you go to your spouse, before, man, you go to your wife and say, I want you to do this better. Deeply search yourself and ask yourself, instead of asking her to do it better, how can I help serve her that it may help her do it better without me asking? Verse 28 says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Do you praise your wife, husband? Do you tell her the amazing things that she does and who she is? Do you, do you wake up and talk to her about her beauty or about the things that she has done for you to serve you or have you told her the incredible way that she acts or the, the kindness that she's done? Whatever it is, have you praised her lately? See, Proverbs knows men really well. Uh, and so in verse 28, the, the person writing this proverb knows that men have a hard time with this. So the writer gives the, the men an example. This is how you praise your wife. Because you need a concrete example. Here's what you say. It says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Right? There are women that do this really well, but guess what, baby? You're the best. No one's better than you. You saw how that person did it, and you saw everybody giving them high fives for that? You do it better. You're the bomb. Men, are you intoxicated with your wife? In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 to 19, it says this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Men, she has to be the woman that you think about. And I use that word think on purpose because I know that the enemy tries to come in the minds of husbands as his first point of entry she has to be the one that you think about the one that you fantasize about the one that you think man when I can't wait to get home and I can't wait to cuddle with my wife I can't wait to be with my wife I I, my love language is touch, so when I think about getting home, my thing is cuddling. Rose put up a meme this week, you know, the five <laughs> love languages, and it, it was like, if your words are words of affirmation, or if you like receiving gifts, it's like, do you want tacos? Do you want me to make you a taco? Uh, you, you smell like a taco? I don't know what the words of affirmation was, but, but mine was, I want to be wrapped like a taco. <laughs> But there is something to be said about a husband who is married for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and is still intoxicated by his wife. Let me tell you, that only happens through deep love, cherishing, care of intentionally saying, you are the one that I love. You are the one that I think about. You are the one that I care for. You are the one that I want to go to. If I just let what happen happens, 
in my mind, if I wasn't intentional about these things, then guess what? The intoxication would be about other women, about the things that I don't have, the things that I want but can't receive. But when I live a godly life, when the enemy wants to tempt me and say, well, doesn't this person look good? Doesn't, don't you want this? Don't you want this? I can say, guess what? None of them are better than my wife. The intoxication, the praise has to start in the mind because then it will begin to flow from your mouth. Where you, if you begin to say no to the thoughts, if you begin to say no to the advances of other women, if you begin to say no then, then guess what? Every no to another woman is a yes to your wife. And what has happened over time is the intoxication has only grown deeper and deeper and deeper. Where I realize I cannot share the level of intimacy I share with my wife with any other woman. Because we know each other over years now. And I, I, can't, I can't fake that with somebody else. I can't just conjure that up in a one night stand or in an office romance or in a Facebook DM battle with another one. It, it just doesn't happen like that. And that's just a, a shadow of the true thing. And when you begin to see the true thing of truly loving your spouse, truly loving her with godly love, then what happens is your intoxication, your love, your desire, your attraction, all of those things begin to increase. I didn't think I could be more attracted to my wife from when we were dating. But let me tell you, every year I've realized I'm more attracted to her every single day. That's what this proverb is saying, to be intoxicated always in her love. But if these are some of the ideals, then what are some of the things that can break us? Do you know, women, that you can make or break your husband? In Proverbs 12, 4, it says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. You know, uh, whether you agree with Hillary Clinton or not, we're going to put political things aside. I'm going to talk about her as a person for a second. She is a gangster. I watched a, a video interview of her and uh, Hillary was a, essentially being courted by two different men. One was Bill Clinton and some nobody. Uh, and she almost went with the guy uh, that is not Bill Clinton uh, to marry him. And so the interviewer was asking Hillary you know, this guy that you almost got married to, he works for, um, he's a mailman. What would your life have been like if you married him instead, to be married to a mailman instead of the president? And she looked at that interviewer and said, if I married him, I would still be married to the president of the United States. <laughs> Do you know what that means? <laughs> she was like, I don't care what man I would have married, I would have made that man president of the United States. <laughs> you have the power to make or break your husband. I see this all the time, the breaking and the making. Where your words can tear him down every day, but they can also build him up and make him shine. You also have this power over your home. In Proverbs 14, 14, it says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. You know, I remember one of the things that Heather uh, first gave me uh, to put in my home office was she wrote me a note that said, I believe in you and your dreams. And I took that, I cherished it, and I 
I pasted it on my office. And this other guy uh, that was also married came over one day and he was looked at that and he said, man, my wife has never said that to me before. And I thought, man, that is, it was sad, honestly, to me. Uh, because that, I knew that person's situation and knew how broken they were over that and how that brokenness had entered into the home. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. If you think that your relationship with God, your decisions, your words, your actions do not have consequences on your home, you are wrong. You can either build your home or you can destroy it. Watch the things that you say, watch the things that you do, watch the things that you worship, because the things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you worship will have an effect on your home. They will either build it or they will tear it. So a lot of times I've even seen this a lot in the church where women have said, well, no, the spiritual leadership is the man's job. And so I'm going to let him pray. I'm going to let him read the scripture. I'm going to let him have the relationship with God. And they have forsaken that. And that has been a it's a it's a hurtful thing to see. Because of the power that you have over your home. Who you worship, what you say. What you do is powerful. To husbands, the, we've already talked about the fool, the sluggard, the scoffer, and the drunkard. And so when it comes to these topics, Proverbs has one main thing to say, specifically to husbands, besides what we've talked about so far. And that main thing, this main word of caution is against adultery. This doesn't mean that women don't do this too. They do. It happens. But Proverbs has this one thing to say to men. And the amount of content around this topic is overwhelming. So like I said, we're going to cover this another week. But Proverbs 5, this is one verse I wanted to read today. Verses 20 to 23 says this. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Look at that word intoxication. Why with another woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Men, you may be doing things in secret. Texts, thoughts, rendezvous, but all your ways are before the eyes of the Lord. That's what it says here. All of your ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And what will happen? Your sin will imprison you. It will be a snare unto you. And what will happen is that that will bring death into your life. Whatever momentary pleasure, whatever momentary joy you feel from the affirmation of another person, from the touch of another person, from that moment of ecstasy, of pleasure, just know that that is pushing you one step closer to your own ensnarement, to your own death. And no matter how secret it may be, no matter how well you may have kept it hidden from your spouse, guess what? The eyes of the Lord are upon you at all times. We cannot keep anything hidden from him. 
Today, you may need to confess and repent of the sins of intoxication with another. And the Lord is here to forgive, to heal, and to redeem. See, the thing about this is, like I said, the divorce rate is 51%. You know what that says? There are a lot of hurting, struggling marriages. Jesus said, I wish none of you would get divorced, but he has made allowances because of our hard hearts. But Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. What I want to encourage us to do is if we are struggling in our relationship, if we are struggling in our marriage, find a counselor that can walk through it with you. Do not do it alone. So often we have this thought, it's, it's the same thing about personal sin where, you know, we don't want to expose what's really going on behind the veil. And for years, people will live in pain. For years, people will live in brokenness simply because they do not want anybody else to be exposed to their own brokenness, their own sin. Guess what? You are not alone if you scream. You are not alone if you are having a bad relationship. You are not alone if you are going through hardships. You know that half of marriages are experiencing this so bad that they are deciding to end their marriage. And so what we need to do is we need to break the silence around this and realize that the counsel of Scripture is to bring in counselors that can give us wisdom into our situation. Maybe people that are leaders that say, I've been there before. Or older couples that have been married for years that they can say, yeah, we went through that 20 years ago. We know exactly what you're going through. Or yeah, we, we experienced that before. And it happened like this, X, Y, and Z in our life. And this is what happened in our life to get us through that hump. And see it to where we are today. But I want to encourage you. If you are looking at these ideals and you're saying, well, maybe A, I'll never get there. Or B, you're looking at the other side of that and thinking, man, I am messing up in these areas. Know that there are resources for you to receive help. In this area of your life. We cannot keep it hidden to save face. It is not worth it. And the ideal will never happen. Unless we put Christ at the center of our marriage. And that's the main thing that we need to walk away with today. This wisdom is echoed time and time again throughout the Proverbs. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It is repeated in almost every section. It is every time there is a new explanation for something that is going on, like we just read in Proverbs 31, it is capped off again at the end. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It has to start first with going to God. Then out of that will flow the fruit of deep and healthy relationships. What I love about Jesus is he has provided that avenue for us. 
Now, when we look at this, we may look at our broken relationships, we may look at our own broken heart and say, man, I will never be that, I will never have that, and we see hopelessness, but when instead we realize that Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, Easter, that's what we celebrated, so that he can break the veil of separation, and we can enter into the Holy of Holies and enter into deep communion and relationship with God, That now our avenue to see these ideals begin to flourish in our heart, this fruit begin to spring in the soil of our heart, will actually begin to happen because the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done means that we are made more like him. We are loving, we are caring, we are serving, we are kind, we are patient, we are self-control. We don't always have to get our own way. But if we go home and we just say, oh, I'm just going to try to do this better or you know, I'm just going to try harder without going to Jesus first and confessing and following him, then what's going to happen is we're going to fall flat because Jesus, the maker of our hearts, is the only one that can change our hearts and transform it. So I want to invite you to allow him to come. Allow him to come and transform your marriage. Allow him to come and transform your heart. And know that only through him can we live out what scripture teaches us truly is what this union was supposed to be made for, what this union was supposed to be called to. Can you stand with me?